right, we ready? Let's get the ball rolling. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 94? Episode number 94. What do you, what do you got for 94? I, I don't know. I think probably Carl Nassib probably wore 94 for the Browns back in the day. I think Lawrence Timmons was 94 yeah. for Pittsburgh for a while. Uh, now I think it's Tyson Alualu. I think that's his name. I think we got Alex Wright wearing number 94 right now. I can't really remember. It's kind of a weird number. It gets rotated pretty frequently. There's always a new player wearing that number, it seems like. Anyways, before we dive into this uh we've been doing some listener updates recently sure we got a new one today and i can't really figure this one out oh god (laughs) we got our first listener in the ukraine today ukraine yeah wow even with everything going on everything going on they still take the time out of their day to listen to 4 30 in the morning let that be an example yes for everyone else out there country torn by war rolling blackouts resource scarcity etc etc i guess we're what somebody needed out there in the ukraine so we're happy to accommodate whoever yeah if we can if we can give you some solace sure during the the tough times out there we appreciate you definitely i was kind of surprised to see that today but hey hey that's awesome thank you for listening we're making it across the globe so anyways on to the news on to the news how many you got i brought three to the studio today i'm pretty sure you're gonna have one of these my first one's gonna come from our favorite upi odd news trailer hauling six thousand pounds of onions catches fire on florida highway you have that one this one's pretty dumb Firefighters responded to a Florida highway where a blown-out tire caused a trailer loaded with thousands of pounds of onions to catch fire. Akala Fire Rescue said on a Facebook post that multiple crews responded to a report of a freight vehicle fire on Interstate 75 just south of Exit 354. The crews arrived to find an open trailer being hauled by a pickup truck was fully engulfed in flames. The driver, who had exited the vehicle, told firefighters the blaze was sparked when one of the truck's tires blew out. The tire had been carrying six cargo bins loaded with a total of about 6,000 pounds of onions. The flames were extinguished in about three minutes after firefighters <laughs> arrived on scene. No one was injured in the, the incident, the department said. Short article, there's a lot going on with this one. Now, 6,000 pounds of onions. That's a believable amount. I used to work in the food transportation industry, and you know how semis have, like, low limits? For some reason, we couldn't really figure it out. Every single time a semi delivering onions came to the warehouse, the driver was always like, yeah, I was like, 30 tons over limit or whatever. Damn. Like, they're driving with these heavy-ass loads of onions. Now, when we were getting onions, they were shipped in 50-pound sacks, and there was, like, like 25 on a pallet. So 50 times 25, I don't know how much that is. That's something. But there'd be, like, there'd be, like, 20 pallets on a truck. So that's a believable sum. Now, this was being towed by a pickup truck. <laughs> Which doesn't seem super official. No, I mean, this is a, this is six thousand pounds worth of onions being towed by a pickup truck. What what is going on here? Like, how big is this pickup truck? Because you know, if this is like a dual alley, freaking, it just said an open... 35, 4,500, Like, it might be able to pull some like that, but six thousand pounds. Ah, it says an open trailer. An open trailer being hauled by a pickup truck. I <sighs> that's I mean, pushing it. I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I it, this has to be like an independent transportation system. This isn't like part of a major company. Sure, like I was sure. assuming when I opened this article, I was assuming it's a semi truck hauling an industrial amount of right. commercial grade onions or whatever. This is a lot smaller than, <laughs> and obviously they don't have the best infrastructure. If those tires are going to blow, <laughs> blow out it? on this, what is this, a Ford Ranger pulling this shit? I I don't know, but I thought this was kind of interesting. It's um, funny. Let's we'll keep an eye on that. Now three minutes. It only took them three minutes to put out the onion fire. Now what would that smell like? Burning onions. Have you ever burnt an onion before? I don't feel like I have. 
You think it'd make your eyes water? Yeah, probably. Probably. Anyways, that's all I got with that. I think we talked <laughs> we, we talked as much as we possibly could about that. Yesterday. That was a good one. What do you got today, sir? So this is from Odyssey.com. This is kind of in reference to a news story you had one or two weeks ago, I think, or we talked about it at least. Uh-oh. Since hiring Deion Sanders, 13 Colorado recruits have already lost their scholarships. <laughs> no shit. I don't think this is quite in the same context we were talking about. Sure. But we're going to be getting into it. Sure. Colorado coach Deion Sanders made quite a stir when he told his players within minutes of meeting them for the first time that their assistance was no longer required, encouraging them to enter the transfer portal to make room for his incoming recruits. Oh my god. Turns out he wasn't joking, as reported by Grace Rayner and Manny Navarro of The Athletic. At least 13 players in Colorado's class of 2023 had their scholarships revoked, including defensive end Carson Mott, who received the news by phone earlier this month. Holy shit. How how shitty is that? It was a huge mess, said Mott, who was ranked 974th nationally, 92nd at his position, according to 247 Sports. I actually never got contacted by Dion or any of his new staff. I got called. They told me that Coach Dion didn't want to honor my commitment and hung up the phone. Wow. How shitty is that? Mott <laughs> should land on his feet. He's considering offers from Weber State, New Mexico State, Washington, Idaho, Iowa, San Diego State, Montana, and Washington State, with visits scheduled at the latter three. Still, the three-star prospect from Simi Valley wishes he had known sooner, lamenting what has been a stressful process, scrambling to find home days before the start of the early signing period. And it goes on for, like, more of the player stories, but how shitty is that? That's ridiculous. How shitty is that? It doesn't even sound like it's over money. It yeah. sounds like that Dion just doesn't want yeah. them on his team. How yeah. shitty is that? Could you imagine if, uh, let's say you're, like, a Colorado native, your dream had always been to play at Colorado, yeah. and it's like, you finally you work your way on. You might not be the best player, but you got that scholarship. You're going to your dream school. You've got all your friends. you got your family rooting for you. You've worked your entire life for this moment to wear that bison uniform. And then Deion Sanders comes in, and you're like, you're gone, but uh, Wyoming might be interested in you. You better check them out. (laughs) Could you imagine? I would sue. It's like, is there any way around that? I just, I cannot believe that. That's kind of 13 players. Said Deion didn't want to honor my commitment and hung up the phone. What what does he... That's ice cold. what, What does he having to honor anything have anything to do with him getting a scholarship sure like he should still be allowed to go there in, in my opinion i feel like yeah i feel like if you're in that situation you, that that's shitty <laughs> what <laughs> i i would be so fucking pissed man i mean let's say you're invested in your studies let's say colorado has the best program for whatever sure you're two years into a four-year program and Deion sanders said no we, we only care about ball here go take a look at southwestern mississippi state or whatever <laughs> unbelievable it, it's unbelievable i couldn't believe that shit when i saw it I feel like they have to at least, like, I could see revoking, like, the football scholarship, but there's got to be, like, some, like, exception. Like, and, yeah, there's like, got to like, be. Like, this player's not going to play. He doesn't count against your 85 scholarships or whatever, but he's got to still be able to go to school. Yeah. that That's shitty. Or could you imagine, like, you're going to lose your scholarship, but I think you should try to walk on. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. Ugh. Anyways, that's, I don't know what to say. And it sucks because, like, I don't want to say Deion Sanders is a bad person, but you thought he was a decent dude from everything that he did at Jackson State. Unless it's a business. Unless it's a business. But he probably like, sees Like, this ain't it. the NFL. This is college. He probably sees the flip side of it. Like, yeah, I'm bringing my boys with me. I'm giving them a chance to go full D1. I don't know what Jackson State is. I don't think it's D1A. No. I think it's Division One AA probably. Yeah. Or whatever. Whatever. They're F- at HBCU, F- right? FCS. I don't know. We 
we could go on all day. Yeah, we, we can go on all day. Now, this is a good one. This one comes from the New York Post. And this is very recent. Mysterious starting lights in Wisconsin raise speculation of UFO sightings. Several onlookers reportedly witnessed bright, unexplained lights dart across the skies in rural Wisconsin, leaving some to question whether the illuminations were unidentified flying objects. Footage obtained by the Daily Mail shows a white glow travel quickly across the night sky over farmland near West Bend and Fredonia in the Badger State. Videos taken earlier this month captured the odd spectacle from different locations, the outlet reported, citing the video metadata. Kimberly, one of the people who took the footage, told the Daily Mail she was driving home with her husband around 10.45 p.m. on December 1st in West Bend, when all of a sudden we saw what looked to be a white owl swoop from the upper right-hand top of the trees, down in front of the headlights, and up to the left. She and her husband decided it wasn't an owl after the illuminating object swooped in front of them another three times, though they were unsure what they saw, according to the Daily Mail. The couple then reportedly saw white lights in the sky above them that were silent. As we're both leaning forward into the windshield, we started seeing these lights, similar to what I caught in the video, she reportedly said. Odd observations were reportedly seen in the sky from rural Wisconsin. We just couldn't wrap our heads around what we were seeing. Meanwhile, Ken began to capture the moment from his home in Fredonia, which is five miles from Kimberly's location, the Daily Mail reported. Neither wanted to give their last names to the Daily Mail. The video shows four lights appearing before a fifth light flies in to join them, the outlet said. Then all five lights depart towards the horizon. So the article goes on for a while, and there are videos, and I watch the videos, and they're kind of they're kind of creepy. Like mm. they kind of look legit, like legit UFOs. Yeah, like sure. like kind of what you would think because you're like fine information. They're kind of really they're flying in like like a like a pattern, but it doesn't really look like I, I don't know. I have to watch them. It, it's pretty cool. It's like it's like imagine like a kind of like a slow moving star or a shooting star, but like four of them and then a fifth one kind of swooping in and joining. I don't know. So there's a lot of witnesses for this one, and there are other reports I was able to verify that are seeing something up there in Wisconsin. They're also seeing stuff in Michigan and different areas lately. Uh, there's been a, a very large uptick in reported sightings, though, especially among airline pilots. There's a lot of airline pilots that are talking amongst themselves and reports are starting to leak that they're seeing an influx more so than they're used to. It's a kind of an open secret amongst airline pilots, apparently, that you see stuff regularly. I don't know how true that is, but there's a lot of reports out there. But anyways, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, the videos are pretty cool. You got to check this one out. Uh, Wisconsin sure. UFOs. And this is a relatively recent story. I found this one. It was only posted yesterday. So so we'll see what happens with that one. We got to keep our eye on it for sure. Anyways, what else you got? This is from Unilad. Now, you and Tim did a episode on this not that long ago. Oh, God. This is from December 16th. Flat Earthers experiment to prove the Earth is flat. Accidentally proves the Earth is round. <laughs> I feel like this is like a headline that gets generated probably once every month. Yeah, but it's just kind of funny. The Flat Earth Society was set up in 1956, though there have never been scientific evidence behind their audacious claims. Flat Earth believers are classified by experts in philosophy and, and physics as science deniers. Unfortunately for this Flat Earther, he made a bit of a fool of himself as he tried to prove that the Earth is indeed flat. While on camera, the man performed an experiment to prove his beliefs, but in fact proved the complete opposite. Now, this clip is from the documentary, um... Netflix documentary Behind the Curve, which speaks to and explores the community of flat earthers around the world. And it's so funny because when I saw this article, I remember watching that documentary and, really? see, and seeing this exact clip and how I was like, this does not prove at all <laughs> the earth is flat in the slightest. So funny. That's funny. I got to find this documentary. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I'm about to watch it. Like, it's so funny. Like, one of the dudes, and I, not this particular clip, but he was like, one of the dudes just standing there and he's like, you see that out in the distance? That's 
Seattle or Chicago or something. Like, look how far away that is. How are we able to see that? I'm just like, bro, you're obviously not far enough away. Sure. That's why you can see it. Sure. <laughs> in this particular clip, one flat earth believer sets up a do-it-yourself experiment for the cameras. It involves using camera to film through two holes and a person standing on the other side shining a torch back at the camera. The flat earther claims that if the light can be seen with the camera, the holes in the fence and the torch all at the same time difference above the ground and the earth is flat. A bit audacious to make such a bold claim from such a simple experiment, but we will go with it anyways. As seen in the clip, the friend holds the torch at the same level as the camera, but the light is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Instead, once the light hits the camera higher, the light shines through the holes in the fence, making the flat earthers blush ever so slightly. So they manipulated to make it look like it was flat, but obviously the experiment didn't work. I can post this on the, uh, on yeah, the, we on need the to... page so you guys can watch the, the clip because it's pretty funny. That's definitely one we need to get uploaded on the Facebook. Now, what struck me about that article is one of the first things you read is that the Flat Earth Society has been around since the 50s. There were people in the 1950s that didn't have anything to do right. that started this shit. <laughs> 1956. Oh my god, that's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Flat Earth Society was set up in 1956. Flat Earth Society. So people were believing in this shit probably well before that. Yeah, I, I still don't know. I mean, we had enough, me and Timothy had that whole episode on that. That was a good episode. It was a little dicey, but I still don't know how I feel about that. It's just ridiculous, nonsensical. It's pretty ridiculous, yeah. We, we could go on forever. We could probably do a whole other episode on it, honestly. Probably. To. Although I don't think we're going to do that today. Probably not. So I got one more, and uh, before I get into this one, this one's going to be from the dailybeast.com. Have you ever seen the movie Avatar? I have not. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, everyone loves that movie more than anything in the world. Everyone makes makes it seem like it's the most amazing movie of all time. Sure. I thought it was a good movie, but I, I didn't get all the hype like that. Like, Understood. It was good, but it was too long, in my opinion. Sure. It could have ended two or three different spots. Now, I am going to give it another chance, because I've only seen it once. Sure. No, I couldn't even. I think I started it, and I just kind of got bored pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's Avatar 2 coming out, and this news story is going to reference that movie. Let's hear it. And it's going to reference an actress starring in that movie named Edie Falco. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's most famous for her role as Tony Soprano's wife in The Sopranos. I think she was in every episode. Really good actress. Edie Falco, star of Avatar 2, thought it came out and bombed years ago. (laughs) Think about that for a second. It's Edie Falco's world. We're all just living in it. And in Edie Falco's world, the long-awaited sequel to James Cameron's Avatar came out a while back, disappearing quietly into the ether, occupied by box office bombs. As the Emmy-winning 59-year-old recently put it, it happens. In a recent appearance on ABC's The View, Falco said she filmed her scenes in the way of the water. I guess that's the title, the subtitle of Avatar 2. Falco said she filmed her scenes in the way of the water around four years ago. I've been busy. I've been doing stuff. Someone mentioned Avatar, and I thought, oh, I guess it came out. And I... And didn't do very well because I didn't hear anything, <laughs> she said. It happens, you know. Someone recently said, oh, Avatar's coming out. And I said, oh, it hasn't come out yet? I'm trying to do an Edie Falco voice. I, I, can't, sure. I, I can't do it. Over laughter, she joked, I will never work again because I said that. She also confirmed that she was a little disappointed when she discovered that she hadn't been cast as someone blue and very tall. I wanted to be blue, she said. I was excited to be blue and very tall. I didn't get either of those things. On the bright side, Falco will have plenty of opportunities to return to Pandora as someone blue tall or blue and very tall in Avatar 
Avatar 3. And then there's always Avatar 4 or Avatar 5 or even Avatar 6. Possibilities are endless. So let me get this straight. So she's involved in the movie? She was a star of the movie. She was an actress. Okay. So they started filming filming this four years ago? Four years ago. And they've been filming ever since? Or I don't know if they were they, done? I think, I don't know. I didn't get into details on that. I'm assuming they probably wrapped, at least they wrapped her scenes. And she, she thought the movie already came out? <laughs> yes. Did she go to a screening? No, she just Did figured... She she goes to the opening? No, not every actress goes to her, to every movie. Yeah, but this is Avatar. Obviously, it didn't have an impact on her. <laughs> Apparently not. She shot her scenes four years ago. And, oh, okay. Ah, I guess I've never heard anything. I wonder how that movie did. Never, the, the thought never crossed your mind. <laughs> that is hilarious. Now, I guess she is busy. Now, I haven't seen her in anything else. Like, I was surprised. I've never seen her in anything outside of The Sopranos. Huh. So, I'm assuming she does stuff. Like, everyone else does something. No, I thought that, that was kind of that, funny. That's funny. That is really funny. Anyways, that's all I got with news. Same. Might, that might have been our worst news, news session ever. I don't think uh, so. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, on to the main topic. I don't really know what to call this main topic. I'm just going to call it historical companies. Yeah, Ben came up with this great idea to discuss historical companies. And he kind of sort of specified companies that once were but failed, but were huge. But we really didn't put any parameters around that. And then we decided to take those parameters off. Yeah. So Ben is going to be leading this discussion. This is another Ben episode. And we're going to see how this goes. So we're going to be talking business. We're going to be talking historical companies. Now, before I could launch in, if you want, to like a, a precursor. So what I noticed in my research, and I didn't do a whole lot of research for this one, but in general, when you look at these historical companies, they really, like, there wasn't like big business as we know it today. Right. Up until only a few hundred years ago. And I was kind of thinking about, well, why would that have been? And when you look at like businesses in the ancient times, it's always like, okay, like there's like a merchant or somebody that's like, it's all family driven. That just like, figures something that out. That just figures something out. Yep. But it's rarely more than like a loose connection of people that like trade with each other or whatever. Yep. That's like more of a cartel than an actual business. Sure. In most cases. And in most cases, it never gets bigger than like the governing body. Sure, there are some people that become rich, but it's always like one individual citizen as opposed to like a business, like an actual. Sure, you might have like a merchant empire, but it's always like one family. Yeah. Like dominating it or whatever. So the idea of business in terms of what I was looking at didn't really come out until like like really the, the 17th century really or maybe the 16th century, like the 1500s, 1600s, like the Renaissance. Sure. Yep. And that basically kind of stemmed from individual people wanting to do what countries were doing kind of on their own, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Sure. So it's like the first companies, like the first that we would recognize, like the Dutch East India Company. I don't know if you have that one. or I couldn't really get a straight answer on the first company ever created. Sure. Like there's nothing I could even find on that. Now they have, now they have, you can find the oldest company running today is about over 1400 years old. It's that company from Japan, that construction company. Sure. They've been around for 1440 some years yeah. from what I've read. I didn't do that one, but that's the oldest thing I could find as like, far as, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, as, like I didn't even get into like that type of thing. Like I was thinking about, because I, I know more Western history, like I don't know what's going on in Asia, but like. It's like the East India Company is kind of sort of around today, but it's but there's a difference between the Dutch East India Company and the East India Company. The Dutch India Company is obviously Dutch. The East India Company is British. They kind of rise up around the same time and they start doing the same thing, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're different companies. It's very confusing. So when it comes to that, I guess, what, what would you even call a company? I don't like know. A, like I, just, ad, like, I just found companies. Like an entity that's bigger than, a, bigger than a family, but not the state. Is that? Sure. I don't know. Anyways, (laughs) 
So since this is your uh, this is your episode, want to dive in and teach us something about one of the greatest companies? Sure. So my first two, <laughs> my first two are more modern, and then my last two are you know fifteen sixteen hundreds. Sure, I've only got two total, so that's cool. So you ever heard of Caswell Massey? I feel like I had to have. Don't they make calculators? No. This is the oldest still operating business in the United States today. So this company was started in 1752. Dr. William Hunter established Dr. Hunter's Dispensary in Newport, Rhode Island. It began as like an apothecary selling like medical supplies and whatnot, but it would eventually turn into um, selling like cosmetics and personal care hygiene products, um, like essential oils and colognes, perfumes and stuff like that. And he really kind of like brought that to the forefront of like, uh, to like the social elite you know what i mean gotcha so and this guy actually gave some of the first lectures on uh, anatomy and surgery in, surgery in the colonies in 1755 so all those dentists out there that were doing all those surgeries probably learned from this guy <laughs> okay remember uh remember oh, our uh, oh, the, odd, i remember the dentists were oh the, the bar- surgeons the, the, barber oh, the barbers <laughs> yeah not the, not the dentists damn it. I'm the, like, okay. the barbers i'm sorry <laughs> So this guy actually developed a lot of the medicinal uh, essential oils and uh, that we have today. He started importing different fragrances from Europe, and he blended 20 of his own different colognes, numbered 1 through 20. <laughs> and number six was George Washington's favorite. And he would, and George Washington would like send number six to like other rulers around the world. He would send them like colognes and shit, which is funny. And um, their soaps were highly popular as well. Uh, Lewis and Clark took a bunch of Caswell Massey products with them on their journey. Okay. To discover the Louisiana Purchase and sure. the West and stuff like that. Now, this company is still around today. Um, now, they got the name Caswell Massey basically through the years of um, different ownership and whatnot. Sure. Partners changing hands, new people coming on, and it ended up just being Caswell Massey. But they don't have any like retail stores anymore today, but you can still buy all their products from third-party suppliers all online. And I was looking up their prices, and there's some really expensive stuff, but sure. there's some pretty decent price stuff, too. I might actually order some and try it. Now, do they still sell the number six? Yes, I believe so. I'm going to have to get that. I'm literally. <laughs> yep. Smell like George Washington. Literally. <laughs> Anyways, that's pretty interesting. Yep, that's Caswell Massey. That's not one that actually, I think feel like you. I've heard the name, but I can't I'd, say that I have. I can't say that I have. That. Nope. Now, here's one probably most people have heard of. Have you ever heard of Standard Oil? John D. Rockefeller, 1863. He basically was very good at both first horizontal integration, which was basically buying up competitors and basically cornering the market, for lack of a better term. Now, oil back in the 1800s, was becoming very important very quickly, but it wasn't the resource that it is today. Like, it was a very important resource, but cars weren't really around back then until, like, really the turn of the century is when cars really took off. What he did basically, what Rockefeller did with Standard Oil, was got himself in a position to basically control the oil market. Mm-hmm. A big part of that was refinery. Now, they weren't... He ended up discovering gasoline, didn't he? Not discovering I, it, but coming up with the formula to, to make gasoline. I think so, because his his impact was more so with uh, with refineries as opposed to, like, digging it up. Because they were, they were, they were just digging up the oil, but it wasn't, it was more processing it into something that's usable. So yeah, I would say probably. Don't now, quote me on that. His no. first refineries opened up in Cleveland, Ohio. Yep. I don't know if you knew that. 
And what ended up happening is pretty quickly, this the Standard Oil became really good at horizontal integration. And his strategy was basically undercut price everywhere you went. So, okay, let's say Rockefeller wants to enter a market. And he's like, okay, this company, and there were other oil companies out there trying to sell oil, trying to market it. Right. Let's say they were selling it for a dollar a barrel. He'd come in and sell it for 50 cents. Yeah. And that was just his consistent strategy across the board was undercut price. Now, what ended up happening pretty quickly is he was so successful with the strategy that it just drove competition out of them out of the market completely. When you hear about like like the big industrialists of the late 19th century, Henry Ford being one, uh, and Carnegie being one, and Rockefeller being one, they liked the idea of controlling the total means of production for their whatever their enterprise was. Right. So that would be vertical integration, which is you control the raw material sourcing, you control the logistics, the transportation, you control the processing, the refining, and you also control sale and distribution. So from the second the oil comes out of the ground, it comes out of ground that you own and you go through the entire process and after it gets refined and sold, it is sold by salesmen that put it on trucks that you own and deliver it right to the customer. Right. So that's basically the idea of vertical integration. And you can see that within different companies. Today, it pretty much doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like, you don't, there aren't too They're many. They're outsourcing everything for every little thing. Yeah. So, you don't really see that too often these days. And it was a great strategy back in that time because the world, there is a, there is a lot less going on in the world, I guess. Right. A lot more opportunity to just kind of do whatever the hell you wanted to. And a lot of these guys took, took advantage of that. And Standard Oil and Rockefeller really took advantage of it. Now, in 1911... The U.S. had policies in place that were called antitrust laws. And back as early as the 1870s-ish, there were guys known as trust busters. I think uh, <laughs> Chester A. Arthur was a trust buster who were political forces that were trying to stimulate competition by legislating away the ability for a company to control a monopoly on a certain industry. So what ended up happening in Standard Oil is by 1911, it was targeted as a, tr a trust that had a significant market share in its sector, which is oil production. And it was found to be an illegal company based on antitrust laws and forced to break up. And it got broken up into like 34 different, damn, 34 different companies. Now, what's kind of shady about this, and I read about this in that Ruled by Secrecy book that uh, I brought to the studio. I'm not going to open up. But what's kind of shady about this whole process is, well, they broke up the company into 34 different companies. There's a lot of cross-integration within these companies to the point that, yeah, it broke up, but it pretty much broke up in name only. They were basically doing the same yeah. shit. And uh, what became the largest branch of that company, Standard Oil, still exists as ExxonMobil today, which is interesting. Now, there's a lot of back and forth as to whether or not Standard Oil should have even been allowed or should have been forced to break up in the first place. There is arguments on both sides, and it's interesting. Like, it's, it's tough to decide, really, should this have happened or not. Because, one, while everybody says, oh, well, they had a monopoly, they shouldn't have been allowed to have a monopoly, they really didn't. They only control about 65% of the market, which is a huge portion. But it was steadily declining. Right. Because there were other oil companies popping up outside of that that were starting to climb in, that had access to things that Standard Oil really didn't. For example, Texaco popped up. Because the Texas oil fields at the start of this wasn't really, it wasn't as big of a thing as it is today, where Texas is the big oil state. Mm -hmm. That wasn't nearly as prevalent back in when Standard Oil was putting together their infrastructure for domination, basically. So there was a lot of argument that says that, sure, they were the biggest at the time, but there was competition that was proving themselves 
in the market. Most of the argument isn't even consumer driven because the consumers benefited from Standard Oil's policies because Standard Oil's always had super affordable products that could be purchased at a low price for the end user. So it was a company that was worth a whole lot, that had a whole lot of domination, but they were still providing a valuable service at a reasonable price or valuable product at a reasonable price. And at that point too, there was like international integration. I know Standard Oil had a lot of dealings across the seas and whatnot, but there was going to become pressure eventually from non-American oil sources that were going to put the pressure on Standard Oil sooner or later. Right. Now it didn't happen immediately. It wasn't really allowed to happen, but there would have been competition elsewhere. So the argument that it wasn't good for competition, it depends on what the value of competition actually is. Because a lot of people would argue that competition creates the most value for the consumer. But in this case, that value still existed, which is kind of weird. So most people arguing for the breakup was arguing from the perspective of smaller oil companies that were just getting absorbed by Standard Oil, that were getting bought out systematically, which you can make that argument, but if they're not providing the, the product in the first right. place, what's the point? You know <laughs> what I mean? Right. It's pretty interesting. There's a whole bunch of like popular companies that you would recognize today that were part of Standard Oil at one time, and, and there were other international companies that were heavily like involved with them. So anyways, that's all I got with that one. Nice. That was a good one. We'll see. We'll see how that comes together <laughs> in editing. I think you get to do this one this week. Sounds good. Have you ever heard of Nintendo? Isn't that the Game Boy? Game Boy Company. Right. So when it comes to video games, we all know that Nintendo is one of the first to get into this shit. They, they didn't make the first consoles, but they were like the the next step in video gaming. Sure. Sure. In, as far as technological development. But what a lot of people didn't know is that Nintendo did not start in the video game space, obviously. And people don't even know how old that company is. Uh, Nintendo was started in 1889, 133 years ago. Wow. And it started out as a playing card company. And they basically, what's pretty crazy is they basically made cards up until like the 60s. <laughs> like that was like some of their, like the like the main part of their... <laughs> sure. But, you know, they, they branched off into other shit. But um, they, they got big by basically starting out. They, they were putting like these their cards in like cigarette packs too. So like when the guys, when the boys went off to war... Um, they would have their cigarettes, and then they would have playing cards with their cigarettes. Not a bad idea. Yeah. But later on, they started making lines of toys, and they they actually ended up getting into the taxi cab industry, too, <laughs> which is which is, uh, which is is random. But for the majority of its time, it was a playing card company, and the company really took off post-World War II when they started coming out with, like, plastic-coated cards with Disney cartoon characters on them. And in the 60s is when they started branching off to, like, board games and shit. Sure. Started adding board games. And it wasn't till the late 70s is when they came out with their first game console. I believe the first ever game console was called the Odyssey. From, from Nintendo from, or from an not, all? Not from Nintendo. It was actually from a, an American company. What about Atari? That's not the first? Not, uh-uh. What nope. about Pong? I thought Pong was the first. I'm talking about game console. It was, was Pong a console? I thought Pong was a console that only played one game, which was Pong. <laughs> I really don't know. No, from what Google told me, Odyssey was the first uh, video game console. Sure. But pretty cool story. So there was a maintenance and assembly worker named Gunpai Yokoi. Yokoi? I think that's how you say that. And he caught the eye of his bosses because of the toys that he would make in his free time. And he would do stuff on the side, like, I don't know, like at his house. He would put shit together on the side of his house, and then he would come in and, like, show his, his bosses 
whatever. Sure. Anyways, throughout his like 20 some year career at this place, he would just continuously rise up in the company. He ended up being one of the top guys in the company. Okay. And he ended up uh, creating the game and watch system, which ended up becoming the Game Boy, the very first Game Boy. Sure. So, yeah, Nintendo, I mean, they would go down in history as making some of the most iconic video games, video game characters, Mario, Donkey Kong, Zelda, Pokemon. I mean, I grew up with all that shit. I don't know about you, Pat. Not really. I wasn't allowed to have fun as a child, but... um, I mean, you grew up with Mario, Super Smash Bros. A little bit. No, I, didn't play, I never played Super Smash Bros. Did you... Well, did you, you guys have Game Boys? We did. Did, but we weren't allowed to play Pokemon. Well, we didn't. Well, we had like the Pokemon cards. At least I did. Yeah, well, I wasn't allowed to have those either. Josh was into the Pokemon shit. We uh, we had Game Boy Advances. I think I played. Uh, I don't know what the hell I played? I played a little bit of Mario. Uh, Tim still plays his regularly. <laughs> we had this uh, the Star Wars game. It was like Legacy of the Jedi or Force Rises or something. I can't remember what the hell it was, but it was just like it was just like Luke Skywalker just crawling through these like boring missions until we just played. <laughs> He would just play the hell out of it. Do, do you remember with our Game Boy? We had a Game Boy Color, and it came with a camera. Yeah. Remember that camera? Yeah. And we tried taking videos and shit with That the was, camera. like, the most important aspect. <laughs> I think you are going to shoot your entire Lord of the Rings saga <laughs> on that camera. Yeah. That was, those are some fun times. But that's Nintendo. Now, Pretty real cool. quick, Pokemon is not associated with Nintendo. The games come out, the games are licensed on the product, and they're heavily recognized as a Nintendo thing. But Pokemon just is its own little thing. They're, like, separated now but nintendo the company created pokemon they did are i'm, you sure, I'm pretty are you sure about I'm, that i thought I'm, it was just like its own little i'm, anime pr- I'm thing. pretty sure i'm looking that up look it up i'm throwing a challenge flag sure don't quote me but that's how i took it Remember how people used to call it pokemon yeah i never understood pokemon oh i guess it is no shit Look at you. Super smart. I try now and then. Now, what's funny, though, is remember when the Pokemon Go thing came out? The oh, Pokemon that stupid-ass app? app that yeah. everyone was walking around looking like zombies? When that came out, it was not associated with Nintendo at all. Oh, no shit? Not one bit. Nintendo's stock shot through the roof because all the investors <laughs> thought that it was... Because it, it, it landed so heavily. Like, I would go to, like, a college campus, and everybody was walking around with their damn phone playing. Like, i never seen anything like it. I've never seen people just, like, moving around aimlessly yeah, in groups. Yeah, weird. That was the craziest. That was one of the weirdest. Scary. It was really, really, really weird. <laughs> like, there were, like, I was out there, and there were, like, like, big football players out there, like, right after practice, just trying to catch Pokemons. It's weird. I was, I was downtown once. I was just driving downtown. Yeah. I think, no, actually what I was doing was, I went to San Marcos before I worked once, and I was driving back through downtown, and I, I took a detour because of construction on, on one of the streets at the time. Sure. And I went, I went past the new uh part i don't want to say it but i just saw a bunch of people in that big field area where they had the big ass christmas tree sure they were just all standing there like zombies on their phone trying to catch shit. I'm like what the hell are these people doing like that used to be like like you would hang out with your buddies you come up like hey let's go let's go to the park and catch pokemon <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. That was a weird, weird two time. Week, two weeks of my life, basically. <laughs> then it flamed. It was gone just as quickly yeah. as, it, as it as it launched. Anyways, uh, anything more with that one? Nope, that's it. That was pretty good. Now, my last one, I only got two today. This one is the East India Company, which I think we mentioned in the prelude to this episode. Sure. Now, this is not to be confused with the Dutch East India Company. Uh, I guess there were two East India Companies. One was British and one was Dutch. This is the British version of it. It was an English company that became, I guess, I don't understand the difference between England and Britain. 
Britain. But it was an English company first, and then it became a British company for whatever reason. Huh. If any of you listeners are from Britain or England, you can explain the difference to us. <laughs> Please tweet us at 30 in the. And we have we have a listener, at least one out there. So Nice. Uh, this company was founded in 1600, and it lasted until 1874. And when you think about the British Empire, a big reason why the British Empire had such a strong holding in Asia, like in India and in Hong Kong and all these things, was because of the East India Company. Now, they were a trading company basically designed to trade in the Indies, which is the Indian Ocean area, which would be anywhere from, like, India to Indonesia was the primary Indies. But all those islands out there, uh, Sri Lanka maybe i don't know what's crazy about these companies and the east india company in particular is it had its own army associated with it that had 260,000 soldiers damn which was bigger than the actual british army at the time so really yes that's surprising isn't that crazy to think about (laughs) now with these companies they were their own independent entities and back then a company like this had such an amount of power that they could like control land like this land is like the east empire or the east india company's land you know what I mean? Right. Now, they were trading all sorts of stuff, including uh, tea, opium, sugar, dye, silk, spices. And spices were a big one back then. Mm-hmm. And they were they were pretty impactful. Like, they were bringing money back to England in such an amount. It's like, at that point, all of the, like, the gold bullion was, it, over the course of history, is all transporting eastward. Like, money was flowing away from, like, the west, basically. Sure. And they ended up having money come right, like, right back to them, based on all the trading that they were doing. Damn. Now, the company ruled large areas of India at one point. What and they like, were ruled? Like, they were the governing body. Jesus. Think about that for a second. <laughs> that stayed intact until, like, the 1850s. Damn. The East India Company was controlling India until there was a rebellion, basically, because India was, like, British territory until, like... Not that long ago. Yeah, exactly. But there was a rebellion hap- that happened where the company got kicked out and the crown took over. So they weren't even, like, really governed by the crown. It was a company. That's in. That's insane. And I was reading about this a little bit, and I don't have uh, a whole lot about it. I guess they they couldn't handle their finances super well, though, which is the thing that brought the company down. But this was like a publicly traded company. Like, there were stock exchanges even back then. So you like, buy shares in this company that ruled India. That's wild. (laughs) Isn't that just weird to think about? And according to this one thing that I read, uh, it it was all controlled out of this, like, one little, like, office building in London. (laughs) It was the headquarters, and everything that happened kind of flowed through that one little office building. Man, maybe if they would have set up some more institutions it would have stayed afloat they had a lot of they had a lot of like ports and whatnot and all sorts of shit going on but it's weird because you have the dutch east india company doing basically the same thing and i the the history is so complicated like i couldn't figure it all out but the dutch east india company was more nefarious because they were involved in the slave trade and other bad shit Mm -hmm. now this company wasn't exactly good like they were trading opium and all that stuff but i don't know the the details as to how how bad it got but still they had their own army and their opium could have been used for good too back then sure like it it is today it was used for bad back sure. then. Sure. So anyways, that's the East in East India Company. Good one. It's pretty interesting. There's a lot. I mean, you could just, you could talk I learned for a lot. about I this just, type of shit. I learned a lot right there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the world wouldn't be the same without it. Like, w- India wouldn't be as English speaking as it is these days. Hong Kong never would have been a British protectorate, more than likely, mm. if it hadn't been for this company. So wow. anyways, that's all I got for this episode. That was a good one. I have two more. I can make them quick. So I have uh, personal um, knowledge of this company. Oh, God. This next one. Have you ever heard of Avidus Zildjian Company? Zildjian. No. Established in 1623 in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul. It technically started in 1618. Sure. But it didn't get the name until 
three. So an Armenian alchemist named Avidus, he tried to basically make gold with combining tin, copper, and silver. But what ended up happening was he created an alloy that didn't break when it was struck, thus creating the best drum symbol ever made. The, you ever seen the, the, the brand Zildjian? No. You ever seen those symbols no. on drums? Like they're, they're the best they're the best symbols out there okay. know, that you can buy. Okay. And uh, I mean I've I've dabbled in drums throughout my life and uh, have we talked really, about this before? I don't think so. I don't know why this is ringing a bell all of a sudden. <laughs> so he ended up it ended up making an alloy that didn't break when it was struck. Sure. It ended up making a loud a loud crashing noise. Now the alloy quickly became popular and it was used by the Ottoman military band as like a tactic to frighten the enemies. Sure. And uh, so it, this is how it got the name in 1623. Sultan a Sultan Osman II gave Avidus the family name Zildjian, which means son of symbol maker. Now, the same family still owns the company today. No shit, that's crazy. 14 generations later, which is incredible. Uh, the family continued to make symbols in Constantinople until 1929. So, obviously it was Istanbul at that time. Sure. But up until 1929, and then they moved the company to Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> right. And it's still in operation. It currently is run by the 14th generation of the family, and they remain the dominant symbol maker in the world, having 65% of the market. That's wild. That's a good story. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, they continued handing down the secret for producing the metal down to their, you know, the male heirs. And um, they did some pretty cool stuff back in the day. So in 1850, Avidus II, um, which was the son of... Herotun Zildjian. See, they, they completely changed their last name. That was their new name after that Sultan sure. gave them their family name. Sure. And um, he passed the knowledge of the metal down to his son, Avidus II. This was in 1850. He ended up building a 25-foot schooner, which is some type of boat. Schooner. Schooner. Is that what it is? Yeah, because I, I, I pronounced it like that in college Did you? <laughs> during a presentation, and the professor was just like rolling his eyes every time I said schooner. <laughs> and um, they did that in order to sale symbols um, produced in Constantinople they uh, to trade um, uh, with uh, London and uh, you know uh, musical artists in Europe and shit like that sure he died in 1865 and um, his successor introduced a line of instruments called K Zildjian and those same instruments are still used in um, classical like kind of big band shit today that's pretty awesome symphony you know stuff and shit like that so awesome awesome company I've played the drums with Zildjian cymbals multiple times. Interesting. And uh, they're the best cymbals. They're very expensive. Sometimes a set of the cymbals costs more than the entire set, the drum set. Wow. So, yeah, they're a good product. I don't even know what to say to that one. That was a really good one. One of the more interesting ones. That, I think that might have saved this episode. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyways, what else you got today? My last one, I'll run through this quick. I don't know if you can really consider this a company. Oh, God. But you ever heard of Bakken? No. Bakken, established in 1583. This is the oldest amusement park in the world, and it's still running today. Where is this happening at? This is in Denmark. So, basically, this started out as a place where locals would go to find fresh water. Because at the time, in Copenhagen, they didn't really have reliable fresh water sure, in most their places, area at the time. Most places really didn't. And this, and, this, uh, and this place, it was basically just like a forest. This was like 30 minutes from Copenhagen. 
Copenhagen. So, sure. you know, at that time, that's kind of a haul for these people. Oh, yeah. And there was, like, this spring in this forest that people would go to to get the water. And there was a reputation with this spring. Apparently, um, this spring had healing powers. So, this spring ended up getting really, really popular. And hundreds, thousands of people would come and get water from this spring and would have healing powers. Sure. So, like, entertainers and traveling salesmen um, eventually noticed that all these people were gathering in this one place. So they would go to this forest and start entertaining the people that were there. And this stemmed into this place just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. More people, more entertainers. And it just it just turned into this big thing in this random area. And apparently they never stopped. And it never stopped. Now there was a situation in like the 1600s through one of the kings. Like one of the kings like shut the place down and wanted it to be like a hunting area. Sure. Or something. But that ended up getting stopped by another king that came in and made it an amusement park again and everyone started going again. But in 1855, the Dyer Bakken Tent Owners Association, they ended up, um, I don't know if they, I guess they bought the entire area and they made it bigger and bigger and they ended up getting like a garbage collection, restrooms and water supply system constructed in this area and electricity was provided to this area. Holy hell. Yeah, they made this place legit. That's wild. And uh, it just had this big reputation. More people started coming and the park started to attract like circuses and moving rides and stuff like that. And today it is still there and they're still they're still chucking. Nowadays it has 32 rides. It has an 82 year old wooden roller coaster. Oh god. I don't think I would get on that. But, I, would. Uh, I would. I definitely would. There's also, you know, they have all kinds of food stands, uh, restaurants, cafes. And what's also fucking crazy is admission is free. So they, you don't got to. Wow. I don't know who's funding it now, but uh, it's, 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 I thought that was interesting. That's a pretty, that's definitely a good one. Oh, like, this is Denmark. It, what's it called again? It's called Bakken. Bakken. Can you spell that for our listeners, please? B-A-K-K-E-N. Bakken. That's pretty easy. Now, um, the website, which I got most of this information from, uh, was uh, culturetrip.com. Um, it says if you go there, like this isn't like a Cedar Point or Six Flags. Sure. Like, the, you, you go there for uh, for the historical aspect of it, but it is a, a decent sized park and you can have a lot of fun and everything. Sure. But I don't know. That'd be a cool place to check out. Definitely. Uh, I don't know how soon I'll be making it over to Denmark, but I could see it happening. Sure. That's all, that's all I got for this episode. Awesome. Well, I don't know if that episode came together exactly how you planned it out, Ben, but I thought it wasn't terrible. I thought it was very, I thought it was really interesting. It was interesting. It's interesting to learn about this kind of stuff. It's kind of the one that I wish I could have put a little bit more time into it because it could have been really good. Sure. Now, a lot of the stuff that I talked about, I didn't learn about in school, so it was kind of more of a refresher than an actual research embarkment. Sure. But um, overall, I thought that was a pretty interesting episode. If you know any historical companies that we should have talked about on this one, please tweet us at 30 in the Comment on our Facebook page. Yes, please comment on Facebook. Listeners are doing okay. Like I said, we have that Ukraine listener, so hopefully nice. they're doing all right out there. Hopefully. Um, Outside of that, we got to come up with some more topics. So if you guys have any topics you guys want us to talk about, please tweet us at 30 in the We've got episode 100 figured out, but we got, what, five or six more before six we get to more. that point. <laughs> so we'll, we'll come up with some stuff. This was our historical companies episode. I feel like we could easily do like a modern company episode. Sure. More like like companies that just kind of didn't. See, see, like the companies today are just so complex. There's sure. There's just so much going on with them. Like the one idea I kind of had was um, maybe companies that kind of like missed their mark. Like they were big not that long ago, but they're not doing a whole lot today. You know what I mean? Like Blockbuster. Blockbuster, Blackberry. Sure. Stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. I was reading about Blackberry. I guess it's still a company, but it's software now. Hmm. Like they just realized that our phones can't compete with the iPhone. Why wouldn't 
they just come out with a smartphone? They did. Their, the BlackBerry was a smartphone. It just didn't buy into the. They didn't. Yeah, put, they, they didn't buy into the, the touchscreen technology. They thought the they, little they, keys they were have. better. They should have. They claimed that the, the, the little keys were better. They were stubborn about it. Yeah. Obviously, the market market dictated them out. But I wish they would make a comeback. I don't see it happening. Probably not. <laughs> see, I don't know. I become a, a Galaxy loyalist. I'm not gonna lie. I like the iPhone. I don't. I like the iPhone. I honestly love how compatible it is with other Apple products. Like, I literally turn on my computer and everything is synced with my phone. Like, I don't want that. Like, if I do if I do my research at work in my notes, I turn this on and everything transfers to my computer and then I can just print it off. Really? That's I nice. Just, I, all, just email, all, I just email myself. Like, all my photos from my phone immediately update on my computer. So if something happens to my phone, I got all my pictures of Hudson on my computer. So there you go. I kind of like that aspect of it. I guess that is a touching aspect of it. Sure. Um, I just have the cloud for that. So, anyways. Anyways. On that note, it's about time to get out of here. So, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Please tweet us. Please comment on Facebook. Please share the show. I really felt the like the last episode was a good one. I think so, too. I feel like that's one that it was funny. It, was, it wasn't that bad. Sure. So, we'll see how this one comes together. But uh, please keep sharing the show. Please keep listening. And Merry Christmas to all you listeners. I don't know when this episode is going to be out. It'll be out around Christmas time. So, yes. Merry Christmas. Hope you guys have a great Christmas season. Spend it with your family. And when you're with your family, please make them listen to the show. Just put it on. Yes, during your Christmas meal. Definitely. Get some eggnog. Get them liquored up a little bit. Yep. And then put it on. You're going to have them hooked for life. So, (laughs) anyways, thank you guys for listening. Peace. What's up, everyone? How you doing? This is 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. God. I don't know what the hell that was. Nope. Nope. Let's keep an eye on that. Now, three minutes. It only took him three minutes to put out the onion fire. I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. Now, what would that smell like? From World Wisconsin. God. That wasn't part of the article. That was uh, it was a little blurb <laughs> that I accidentally copied. Oh, shit. We just couldn't wrap our heads around it. God, fuck. I need to actually read the words that are in front of me instead of <laughs> reading what my head wants to read. Right. And um, and it wasn't till the late 70s is when they came out with their first game console, which was called... Uh, uh, shit, what the fuck was that called? Forgot to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I believe the first ever game console was called the Odyssey. If I'm, from if Nintendo I'm, or from at not, all? Not from Nintendo. It was actually from an, Ameri- an American company. 